Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Today I'm speaking with two wonderful guests about extraordinary experiences. Barbara Mango has a master's and PhD in metaphysics and is the sole proprietor of a Healing Touch Reiki, as well as a practitioner. She currently researches, writes, and speaks about extraordinary phenomena and consciousness. Barbara is a contributing author to books by Dr. Penny Sartori and Claudia Watts-Edge. Barbara co-hosts Alternate Perception Radio with Brent Rains. Lynn Miller holds a master's degree in biology and served as an adjunct professor at Pensacola State College in Florida, where she taught botany, microbiology, and biology. Lynn is a frequent co-host with Brent Rains Alternate Perception audio interview series. Influenced by the work of author and out-of-body experiencer William Buhlman, Lynn has practiced controlled out-of-body experiences since 2009 and has extensively researched consciousness for over 15 years. They are both the authors of the new book, Convergence, The Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. I hope you enjoy this enlightening conversation with Barbara and Lynn, where we discuss extraordinary experiences of consciousness, including the non-local aspect of non-human intelligent beings, and the big question about why we exist. Barbara and Lynn, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you both here. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you about your new book, which I want to congratulate you on. It's called Convergence, The Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. And I have to say, you're singing my song because you do emphasize the importance of direct experience. So let me just start off by asking, um, we'll start with Barbara, if you want to talk briefly about why you decided to write this book. Yeah, well, first I'll say, I'll start with saying that Lynn and I are lifelong experiencers. I had my first experience at two years old. So I've always, always looked at living in this world as it's so much more than we can perceive it. Um, and even from a young age, in my little child's understanding, I knew that consciousness just wasn't, you know, part of our body. It was so much more than that. And I knew that it was non-local in nature. Uh, so to fast track, Lynn and I uh, were invited to be on the research team of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation. They were writing a book and we were helping them with the research. And then also we were asked to write a chapter. And Dr. Edgar Mitchell was the sixth man to walk on the moon and a retired astronaut. Uh, so during our time on the research foundation, I mean, it was great. We learned a lot about hardcore research. We were working with world-renowned researchers, academics, uh, neuroscientists, and all that. And we were asked to write a chapter, and it was dealing with the commonalities between unidentified aerial phenomena. It was limited in scope, though, for Lynn and I. It just contained the contrast and comparison um, between the non-human beings and near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. And throughout our lives, we've just had a multitude and lifetime of all kinds of experiences. And we wanted to expand on that. And also, to us, it's all about the experiencer. I mean, Lynn's had, I don't know, like a thousand out-of-body experiences. And 
I've had experiences of every single kind, everything since I was tiny. And we wanted to emphasize that because the foundation was extremely scientifically oriented. And so we decided to incorporate more elements of uh, phenomena. And we also really, really, really wanted to make this book for experiencers because I always say, it's kind of one of my little mantras that um, science is trying to prove what the experiencers already know. Yeah, I hear that. I've had my own experiences with non-local phenomena. And the one thing I noticed when I was having them was it's a very natural process. And you just know, you know the information, you know what's happening to you in a sense of it just feels, can I say normal? So again, that's why I really appreciate that you wrote this book. Thank you. Lynn, do you have some thoughts on uh, why you were involved in this book? Yes. Um, you know, I love that you called it a natural process because, you know, as human beings, we are all interdimensional. You know, we exist outside our physical bodies. I mean, we're just, you know, basically this is just sort of a shell. So we are interdimensional beings. Um, you know, when it comes to the fact that the most important thing of all of this is, is the experiencer themselves, because it, it's everything about the experiencer. You know, I have looked at so many different types of contact experiences, whether they be, you know, UFO, whether they be, you know, other things that involve orbs or ghosts and all kinds of strangeness. Um, you know, and there's been some great researchers um, like Jacques Vallée and other people, um, Kiel is another one that realized that the whole phenomenon is really goes back to the experiencer and to try to understand what the experiencer is and about, because it's, um, that is where you're going to learn so much more about the phenomenon instead of looking at the nuts and bolts of it, like, you know, a lot of people like ufologists do, you know, they're more interested in the little shiny ships in the sky where they totally ignore the experiencer because the experiencer is the person who is, you know, being able to have this amazing communication with, you know, this non-local communication with whatever, you know, it could be their spirit guides, it could be um, non-human intelligent beings, you know, all kinds of things. And the information that they receive is outstanding and very important. So that's why experiencer comes first in, in all of this, you know, to us. I mean, the science of investigating these experiences and this phenomena really comes from the human experience. So the experience comes first, naturally, and then the investigation of it. Definitely. And it's definitely, you know, the, it's all about the experiencer because it's, you know, it comes to the fact that whatever this experience is, whether it be ghost hunting or orb hunting or, you know, trying to find, you know, extraterrestrials, you know, the experiencer is definitely part of it. Yes. So your niche in particular and your experiences are related around extraterrestrial or cosmic cultures, if I can use that term 
using that phraseology is important, I think, to bring some legitimacy to the experiences because, I mean, the term alien is pretty loaded and I think it turns some people away from taking it serious. And that's, I mean, that's what people do. That's just how people do things and how things um, develop over time. But um, it's all part of the non-local fabric. So ETs, spirit guides, our ancestors, everybody's in the pool of consciousness, part of that fabric. So can you tell me a little bit about your experiences with ETs? Yes, absolutely. And I love that you called it a cosmic culture because, you know, from from me gathering information from some so many of these experiencers, because I've learned from them. I mean, I really have. Um, you know, they get to the point where they're no longer considered aliens or ETs. They call them their family. You know, they're, 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 you know, our star seeds, like you said, the cosmic cultures. Um, but, um, you know, that's one thing too, as um, when I have been communicating with a lot of people who've had out-of-body experiences or what you call astral projection, um, you know, and, and not all of them experience what we call, you know, extraterrestrial visitation. But quite often, you know, you know, it, it, it comes up all the time and someone will say, I just got visited by aliens and I've, you know, they've communicated with me and take me, you know, on their ship and to different places. And then they, you know, end up kind of morphing into, well, no, they're actually my guides, <laughs> you know, my spirit guides and, or my spirit guides are extraterrestrial. So, you know, it's all part of this non-local um, communication so whatever that you call them, and we often like to call them non-human intelligent beings, which are NHIBs, because that sort of kind of um, encompasses all of it. So like you said, the term alien is very loaded, and it sort of kind of separates us from them. But yeah, it's a commonality. And, you know, I, I, I go along with what is called the interdimensional hypothesis when it comes to I guess you could say ufology, that instead of going with what's called the extraterrestrial hypotheses, which means that they are outside of us, they're, you know, um, you know, you're not really considering consciousness in there, that there's something separate to us. But I mean, that is not the case because with so many contact experiences, it is a very strange phenomenon. You know, it involves consciousness. And a lot of times when, when individuals are contacted this way, there's so much more to it. They may start having um, lucid dreams and out-of-body experiences. They may start seeing strange occurrences in their house. They may start, you know, seeing orbs or ghosts. And, you know, so there's so many things that kind of surround the phenomenon that goes along with it. So, um, you know, so like I said, it's, it's, it has to do with consciousness and the non-locality of it. That's right. Barbara, did you have some thoughts or did you have an experience about um, with ETs? I think you had one as a child. I did. Uh, yes. So my first experience as a child was when I was two and I had several incredibly impactful experiences, which just taught me that there's way more, way more that lays outside of our everyday, you know, regular, what I call 3D existence. 
So when I was 10 years old, I lived in Kansas City, um, and I, I had always been waiting to see, you know, to experience um, visitation, a craft, whatever you may call it. So it was a very, very hot day in March, which was extremely unusual for that time of the year. And my dad and I were outside doing yard work, and a lot of the neighbors were outside too, because, you know, what a great day to be outside. It was sunny, just beautiful outside, not a cloud in the sky. And it's raking, you know, it was so sunny. And then all of a sudden the sky turned, I can't say black, but really dark. And I couldn't understand why I was looking at the ground and everything was in a dark shadow. So I looked up and I think my mouth just dropped open. And I remember my dad looking up and his rake just dropping. And there were several neighbors out and they looked up. So we we all looked up and, and I think, you know, we probably all were gaping with our mouths wide open. And about 500, probably no more than 500 feet above me, because it was extremely clear, was a perfectly round craft that was very thin, very thin. I, I guess I had expected it might be shaped differently. And I could see that the, along the entire circumference, there were windows. I couldn't see anything through the windows, but I could just see them, you know, and it was, I don't know, probably about 200 yards in, um, you know, diameter. So I just kept staring at and staring at and staring at. And then all of a sudden I started getting all kinds of downloads from the craft telepathically. And the thing with me, which may be kind of weird for a little kid is because I had already had so many experiences, I had had those that included telepathic communication. So in my world, like this was normal, right? And and I was being told a lot of things about ecology and really being careful with how we go forward uh, in respect to the earth and caring for it, caring for the, the uh, atmosphere, caring for everything. And we're not doing that. We're being destructive. And one of the messages they wanted me to bring forth was that. Second message they told me was, we know you have no fear of us. You know, to you, this is like normal. But so many people do. We don't want them to have that fear. And again, this was just this particular visitation. And um, the final thing they said, and this is before we landed on the moon, so I'm dating myself, but they were telling me that the date that we would be landing on the moon. And then they were also telling me that after that particular mission, you know, NASA mission, we were going to go back many, many times and that we would bring back on one mission like moon dust and moon rocks and observe them to always. And so I was always supposed to keep that comparison. They're observing us just like we're going to go to the moon and observe what it's comprised of. And the weird thing was like, I was only 10. So I hadn't, I didn't know anything about physics, like nothing. You know, I was, I was really bad at science anyway. I hated it. But I realized, you know what, like I, nobody, nobody in the neighborhood saw this come, right? There was no noise. There was no wind. It just got dark. So basically it had just appeared. So it, since there was no noise, I knew that it traveled faster than the speed of sound. And I don't know how I knew that. 
And we, I just kept watching and watching and watching. And I don't even remember blinking my eyes. And then it was gone. One minute was there, one minute was gone. And I remember saying to my dad, you know, because we couldn't see it travel, it traveled faster than the speed of light when it left. And he said, how do you know that? I, he said, like, you haven't learned that in school, right? I said, no, I just do. Maybe they communicated it with me. So years, years, years later, I mean, I always knew this was realistic. It actually had um, been written up in our local paper, like very briefly. But, you know, there's always that skeptic side. It's like, okay, you were 10 and yeah, it was written up. But, you know, is it really true? Even though I, you know, that little duality there, the tug saying, is it really true? Is it really true? So when I was researching this book, I found this fascinating website called Project Blue Book, which was declassified many, many, well, actually tens of thousands of cases of declassified sightings. And the Air Force had investigated all of them and probably like 95% of what they had investigated, they determined after the investigation, it was just a total normal, you know, everyday explanation, like a weather balloon or uh, some type of prop plane in the different distance or, you know, something to that effect. Mine though, it said that it was verified and that meant it was the real deal. And I was so excited. I was jumping up and down going, yes, yes, yes. I knew it was real, but here it is documented by the air force. Like how cool is that? So that was, that was just another eye opener for me along my path of experiences um, mine's more sort of concrete than Lynn's, but it all, you know, it's all the same, the same circle, so to speak. Yes. And that's amazing that you were able to validate that incident. I mean, I think as an experiencer as well, I think we're the hardest skeptics really, because I know personally, if I experience something, I don't want to just have faith and then have it turn out to be, oh, that wasn't really real. That was just your imagination or just you misinterpreted it. I look, I need and look for validation, at least for me, my evidence. But if you can have outside validation like that, it's amazing. Yeah, I know. I'm. That's one of the reasons Lynn and I included like so much science. I mean, the reference portion of the book is like crazy. Because first of all, we know experiencers, some experiencers do feel that way and we wanted to really give them validation, but we also feel this topic is so critical and we felt it needed a lot of validation for the skeptics out there. And again, if there's somehow you could marry the experiential with the science, like wouldn't that be awesome? And maybe this book will even touch a few really determined hardcore scientists and wow that would be awesome so yeah i'm always sort of looking for the validation as well although i have to say these experiences these experiences are realer than real i don't know if you feel this way but once you have um an experience that is so real your senses are heightened it occurs outside of time and space as we know it you're getting telepathic downloads you you know it's then when it's over and you come back down to everyday 3D reality, I feel like I'm being shoved and smashed back into this very limited body. And that contrast is very sort of unsettling. Um, 
But again, that's another validation for me, right? To have the experience that transcends anything I know in daily life um, and it's limitless. And then to come into a body that is limited. So that to me, that's another piece of validation. Certainly. Yes. Lynn, what are your thoughts on that? There was a time in my life as I was, you know, as my paradigm started to change and, you know, that happened around 2006, as I was starting to learn more about, you know, I had watched what the bleak do we know? And then of course the secret came out about the law of attraction. And there were so many things that at that time, it was very difficult for me to accept because, you know, I, you know, I'm a biologist, I'm a science, I'm, you know, I'm a scientist. So, you know, there are many things that I would consider to be way woohoo about many things. And um, so as I was, you know, during this time, I started to meditate and, 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 you know, learning all about consciousness and the law of attraction and quantum physics. And I started noticing that my experiences were increasing. And what I mean by is my out-of-body experiences. Now, I've always had these my entire life but I just sort of just really didn't believe what they possibly could be. And um, so if, you know, as I started to learn more about the non-locality of consciousness, um, I started reading books by William Buhlman, which is, you know, the grand poobah of um, out-of-body experiences. And I loved how he yes. kind of married the two of science and this, because it really is the same thing spirituality is science science is spirituality you know and he looked and he started looking into the aspects of the possibility that first of all the universe is only a very small percentage of physicality of physical universe there's something called dark matter which pretty much makes up the majority of the mass of the universe and you know he was saying you know, all this interdimensional aspects of what the universe is, is most likely dark matter. And he was talking about how the possibilities of how, you know, wormholes and black holes is sort of a link in between the two things of dark matter and light matter. But it, it, to me, I had to find something that, because I mean, I am a skeptical also, that had to have more meaning to me, you know, it had to be, I really had to have the science behind this for me to even be able to accept it, or I couldn't have, because there's so many things when it comes to like the quantum hologram of consciousness, you know, about this possibly being, you know, um, like I said, a quantum hologram, or, you know, it could be the facts of uh, the possibility of parallel universes and how we can actually live, you know, possible um, lives, multiple lives at the same time. The science of this had to be the, you know, the foremost first thing for me to be able to accept it. And then, and then, you know, once that happened, I was able to accept that, yes, I am having out-of-body experiences. Um, my consciousness is separating from my body. The experiences are so real. I mean, there was one time I was standing there and I put my hand through my physical body as I was 
you know, as I exited my body. And, you know, it's like these experiences are so real and to the fact too that as you go interdimensionally, you are closer to source, you know, you're closer to, you know, you're, you're more energetic, you can experience greater things, more senses, um, you know, I could see plants and, uh, you know, sometimes I would just, you know, my experiences weren't all about extraterrestrials, you know, a lot of the things that I experienced was in nature, I would go in nature and I would uh, be among the trees and I would lie down and I would touch the grass and I would see the the light going through them, the energy of the universe. And um, it was just so much beautiful, just beautiful experiences that, that um, I absolutely 100% believe that we are more than our physical bodies, that we exist. We are masters of the universe. We are so much more. So without a doubt, I know that we are more than what we appear to be. I fully agree. In the book, you mention a personality trait, a type that is more conducive to having these kinds of experiences. Um, Barbara, did you want to talk about that? Okay, sure. Um, well, first of all, I'm really interested, and, and Lynn has, I believe she has a dual major in biology and psychology, and I've always been fascinated by psychology too, um, particularly, you know, abnormal psychology. And I was very interested when I was, I wrote my dissertation on near-death experiences, and one of the books I read was by Dr. Kenneth Ring, and it was called The Omega Project. And at the end of the book, he started to get into a little bit about his studies on the correlation between personality types uh, and near-death experiences. And he determined there was a specific personality type that did tend to have these experiences. And I thought, well, you know what? If that personality type has near-death experiences, well, wouldn't a certain personality type then be prone to have all of these experiences because they're all interconnected? So I started reaching, researching, excuse me, uh, that in a larger way, and I came across research on what they call an anomalous encounter-prone personality. I mean, anomalous can mean inexplicable, extraordinary, they just term it um, anomalous. And this personality type, now this fits Lynn and I, it fits a lot of experiencers, but not all. And we tend to come from really difficult childhoods. Uh, it can either be a childhood that had one super traumatic event that really impacted the individual, a negative, just in general, a negative home environment, say there's you know, like alcoholism or something like that. And I mean, in my case, it was a very abusive childhood. That's another factor. It can be any kind of abuse. It can be physical, sexual, um, emotional. So we do come from that background. And the question is, I certainly use this. We also tend to disassociate, you know, and I would do that. I would zone out all the time. So the question is in in studies is this tendency to disassociate is that just another trait or is that like a psychological coping mechanism right 
because a lot of us cope that way. And I, to this day, like, I don't know what it is with me, but I think that has enabled me to have more experiences because I can sort of flip, you know, disassociate from one, um, you know, from my physical body to have these other experiences. So the other thing is we also tend to be highly sensitive people. So you might call us empaths or whatever, but this is the interesting thing to me. So we're not just sensitive, like, oh, you know, you've probably heard, oh, you're so sensitive. You're so over emotional because things do affect us very, very deeply. So that is a piece of it. But, and we do tend to have sensitivities to the environment, to we tend to have autoimmune issues, uh, our biochemical issues, and we have a really strong reaction. And I do, especially to electromagnetic fields. Um, but the other piece of that is we can, instead of that affecting us, we can affect, um, especially technology. Like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I walk into a room, not all the time, lights flicker on and off, um, because my energy field is creating, you know, issues with electronics. I usually go through computers really quickly. I'm, my phone breaks all the time. So it kind of goes both ways, which most people don't realize. Like we react, uh, you know, we react to uh, energy and we're very sensitive, but we also can act upon technology or electronics, right? And, but if you want to do... Um, personality traits, well, one of them is we tend to be very creative, we're very assertive, forthright, we don't always conform to the norm. Um, some of us, including, I admit, I have a little baby about this. I'm anti-authority, you know, I'm a little rebellious. We do mildly disassociate, we're easily hypnotized, and we tend to be empaths, of course. And so some of these traits are not you know, they're a little outside the norm, outside the way um, people would term acceptable behavior. You know, if you're like a little rebellious and a nonconformist, and then you're telling people about these experiences, you know, that doesn't always go over so well. So we are a little, a little different than other people. And actually, you know, research shows, but I absolutely believe this, that yes, it's a combination of our childhood and it's also a combination. We just come into this world wired differently, maybe at a higher vibration. So I just found the study of this and the information really interesting. And again, since I'm an experiencer, I want to reach out to experiencers and I want to let them know, yes, you probably are very different. And yes, you may have had a difficult childhood, but let's reframe that because different can be viewed in a negative way. And let's reframe that and try to just look at ourselves as very unique, you know, and we do have some really important gifts we can bring into the world. You know, I, I don't want people to look at it as a negative or I'm weird or I'm strange or I got what's wrong with me. I want them to reframe it to a positive. And that was my intention in including it in the book. With this work and this subject matter, especially with the science aspect, I always notice that it always ends up moving into that spiritual framework and then it 
goes back to the individual themselves. So it becomes very personal, personal growth, spiritual growth, expansion, evolution, all those words to express the bottom line. What I want to ask, what is your opinion? I'll start with you, Barbara, again, and then we'll go to Lynn. Barbara, what is your opinion based on everything that you've experienced, you've known and researched? What's the purpose of us coming here into this dense 3D reality and then starting to tap into or be born wide open and being sort of in both worlds? Well, I personally, again, this is just my little saying, but I always say it's to remember who we really are. Um, You know, I believe, you know, it's not like we're coming in as ants and our job is to build little anthills and then we die. To understand that we aren't just limited human beings living in a three-dimensional world, but we are so much, so much more. And who we really are is pure, loving energy. And that's really important because it changes your entire worldview. It enables you to feel more connected with all humanity. I think it enables us to be kinder, uh, more empathetic you know, empathetic, uh, just to see the world in a completely different context. At least that has been so for me. And what I think is super important is that in having these experiences and realizing there's so much more, I've realized that we live eternally, you know, we just change form, right? We're no longer a physical body. We become pure consciousness. And death is such a gigantic universal fear. I think also as you go on this path of discovery, you lose that fear of death, which I think is absolutely huge. Um, and, And I still don't get to this day while the fear of public speaking is number one and the fear of death is number two, but it can be crippling to some people. So I, I would just say it's a pathway to discovery to remember who we really are, our magnificence, our, there are no limitations, and there is no such thing as death as we term it, you know, in our three-dimensional um, reality. And how freeing is that? Yes, Absolutely. So that's my, you know, that's my personal experiences with this. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. Lynn, do you have some comments? So I think your question was, why are we experiencing this earthly existence? Why are we here on planet Earth? You know, I I often ponder that so much because, you know, like today I was thinking about the way, you know, the way, you know, our society is, how we sort of make up things and believe it, you know, how the world is so full of divide and conquering, how we are so separate from each other, um, you know, socially, culturally, racially, in so many ways. And it just seems like um, the way, you know, society is, especially when it comes to, you know, watching television and watching commercials and things like that, 
that it seems to try to play this role in trying to separate us from each other. Now, I do see an amazing change happening, you know, um, as we're going through these amazing growing pains and things. Um, we are here on Earth, I feel, to, you know, because, I mean, sometimes I get so, um, you know, so stressed out and kind of anxious and, you know, when, when we think about what the world is, and then I keep saying to myself, okay, well, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, you know, that keeps, you know, coming and popping into my mind. So it's like, okay, well, I don't like it. So let's do something about it. And that's sort of what we're trying to do here is, you know, to show people that number one, we are one, we are one, we are one, you know, you know, we are one with the universe. I mean, with this intelligent divine mind, we are part of that. So we are not separate for one thing at all. Um, you know, and to try to help each other understand that and to, you know, I, I know that the earthly existence is so tough because, you know, we are so separate, or at least, you know, we appear to be so separate from, you know, what we truly are. And, you know, we have forgotten that, you know, as we have experienced life on the other side and, um, you know, that, that is the thing, too, is to help people remember and to find that truth. That truth is within you. It is within us all. It does not matter what society or what religions, you know, tell you to believe. That the, 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 the beautiful and amazing truth is within us all. And we have to be able to help each other, you know, find, find that truth, that inner truth that, that is so beautiful. And I would say that, you know, I miss my home. I miss, you know, I have so many visions and experiences of longing to be with my family. As you say, your the cosmic cultures, my cosmic family. I, I long to be with them, to go home. Um, so many of us have that feeling of, of missing that, but we also know that we are here, you know, to serve a purpose. And that is to make others feel that they are loved and that they are not alone and to you know go within themselves and to also help them realize that life is so much beyond this physical it is it is you know our consciousness continues and it will always continue that was perfect and like i said that's the point so the human experience comes first the investigation comes after and now we're trying to merge the two so that we have a greater understanding of what's going on and who we are and what we're doing here so thank you for those responses so i encourage everybody to read the book now it's on amazon is it yes it's on amazon um and actually throughout most of the world uh it's on kindle Barnes and Nobles, um, their ebook version is called Book Nook. Um, it's in several different bookstores throughout the world. Um, and yeah, and we also have a website. Um, it's www.extraordinaryexperiences.org. The book is also on there and there's links to where you can get it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually um, available in many places. And I also wanted to mention that Lynn and I, one of the big things that we focus on our website is our experiences, okay? Because obviously that's what we're all about. 
And we really have a lot of blogs uh, and they're on all different kinds of experience. Lynn just wrote a beautiful blog um, about her body experiences. And sometimes, you know, they delve into other subjects, but we have a lot. So anybody that's interested in is going on and, and taking a peek at them. We try to write them once a week. Sometimes it's only one every two weeks. Um, but yeah, that's a big part of our blog. And you'll really get to know us by reading those. So just wanted to bring that up. And I appreciate that you do write those blogs about those experiences, because I know for me personally, I mean, the science was very helpful and very mind blowing and eye opening, but it was really, I was able to understand my experiences based on how other people had their experiences. So sometimes it's in the small details that really, you know, gave me that understanding of what was going on. So I find that highly valuable. So thank you for, um, offering that on your website. And I hope everybody goes and checks it out. Barbara, I just wanted to mention you have something exciting coming up this fall at IANS at the International Association of Near-Death Studies. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I got accepted to speak and I am going to be speaking with Lee Whitting, who actually, Lee Whitting is a chaplain and he has ministered to, in a, you know, in a non-denominational way. He's ministered and uh, to veterans. He's been by the bedside of the dying in hospitals. He's worked with hospice. He's an amazing guy. And I will be um, doing a joint presentation with him. So my presentation is not about the book. I do talk about this in the book, however. I talk about the need for compassionate, patient-centered care in the book in relationship to experiencers right because so many of our of us experiencers we don't receive that instead we're told we're crazy you know we're nuts we're making it up we're lying or we're just hallucinating or whatever but what i'm focusing on the conference because it is related to near death and you know compassionate care towards the dying Lee and I will be talking about the compassionate care component that's critically needed to help the dying pass in a respectful, compassionate manner, and which really includes, you know, listening and being there for them and not judging them as being, uh, you know, hallucinating or being on too many drugs or you know, it's a dying mind because we know that it isn't. And we look at death as not a physical event, but a spiritual event. So it's all about filling that gap that is so needed right now. It's needed in the medical field. It's needed in psychiatry and psychology. And it's also needed with the dying because a lot of times hospice will focus on the immediate needs of the dying person. But as a chaplain um, and that type of thing, we that offers, and, and what I hope to offer is the spiritual component, you know, the understanding of the process. That's what we're trying to share. I'm really excited about that. So thank you for mentioning that. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Yes, no problem. Thank you. Thank you. And the other thing I wanted to mention too, because you know, I'm so 
passionate about helping experiencers. And this won't start till early next year, but I was really interested in how do you go about being there to support experiencers? So I found a training program. It's, I think it's 20, 20 weeks long, and I'm going to be trained to be a group facilitator uh, and a one-on-one -on -one peer for those who have had spiritually transformative experiences because they're very difficult to process and to integrate. And I want to be able to listen compassionately and help guide those, those people struggling with that. That's another wonderful service. That's great to hear. Thank you, Barbara. Thanks. So thank you again, both of you, Lynn and Barbara. This has been a wonderful conversation. I appreciate your the work that you're doing, especially in regards with experiencers in particular. And, you know, this is why my podcasts exist to keep these conversations going, because that's the key is just having these discussions non-judgmentally and very openly and to understand, you know, to have that true understanding of what what's happening to us well, what are we experiencing what is it really rather than the fear-based ideas that are out there so thank you both so much thank you so much for having us oh thank you so much we love being on your show it's really it's really fun thank you Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Barbara and Lynn. For more information and to purchase their new book, please visit extraordinaryexperiences.org. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And do join me next time, where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing.